Good morning, everyone. If you would, please, in your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament, to the Proverbs of the Old Testament. We're going to uh, begin a series of lessons from Proverbs. I want to thank uh, Jamie. She, she suggested this, and she knows me so well. She knew that it would take me forever and ever to get through Proverbs if I did it on my own. So she has some suggestions that she gave me uh, for thematic lessons. And uh, and, I, and I looked over them and I was just so impressed by that. So I thank her so much for that. Um, it's always helpful to me because my brain goes in so many different directions that to get uh, not only a uh, request, but also a guided request is always nice. <laughs> So that's what I'm going to do. We're going to look uh, through the Proverbs in kind of a thematic way. And uh, we won't read every single one probably, but uh, because there are a lot of, of similar passages. But I did want to focus on those first few um, verses in Proverbs this morning. And actually do my best to try to relay it uh, the same way that uh, Solomon wanted it to be relayed. He's very clear in these first few verses what the Proverbs really are. Also, before I begin, I wanted to say uh, my oldest and my next to oldest sons are both working now. That time had to come. Uh, and so the evening will be without the two uh, song leaders that could be there until they uh, they do their their work where they can kind of work with their schedule. Right now they're low on the totem pole, as they say, so they, it's good that they can be here, but then they have to be somewhere else too. Working on Sundays, when I was a kid you would have never heard of it, now everybody works every day. I think they're trying to make slaves out of the whole nation or something, but it's just incredible. Um, but they will be working in the evening, so uh, we're going to need song leaders to step up and be here to, uh, to lead during the evenings. Now if you leave it to me... There are going to be a lot fewer songs. So, so if you leave it to me, that means I get to sing a couple of songs and do longer sermons. So you you think seriously about that. No. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to be in Proverbs. And so uh, to me, the Proverbs are absolutely beautiful. Absolutely incredible things. Whenever Jamie brought it up, I was thrilled. I, I, I would love the idea, and I love the idea of doing the Proverbs, because this is, being a dad of four sons and no daughters, uh, this is extremely beautiful to me because uh, Solomon is inspired by God, of course, but that is coupled with his concern for his son, and he's going to take the time to write down everything his son needs to know. Now, as a, as a mother, as a father, I think that you could appreciate that, those of you that are moms and dads, wouldn't it be just incredible if you were afforded the time, like this, like this king was afforded the time, where you could just sit and think about everything that was important for you to write to your son or daughter, your children. Write it in a book so that after you died, they could refer to it again and again and again and read all of the wisdom that you could have had over all of your years of your life. I mean, it just blows me away to read the Proverbs. And uh, my guess is he was he was writing to Rehoboam, who would be his son. Uh, and uh, 
he may have been writing to others, but my guess is that would be his focus. But the, the Proverbs, really what's even more wonderful about them now is that they're an inspired set of insights that we can now have. We are not the sons and daughters of Solomon, but we are the sons and daughters of God if we're Christians. And Solomon, being inspired by God, is actually writing this now across time to us, and we should appreciate that (laughs) certainly a whole lot more than Rehoboam did. And, And these are insights into living the very best life that we can live. I mean, that's incredible. That's what the Proverbs are all about. The hope of every parent to his or her child or children is that they would live the very best life that they could live before God and in righteousness and in faith. Spiritually speaking, of course. I've always told my sons, I don't care if you have to live in a, in a trailer or an apartment or house. That doesn't matter. I don't care if you have to drive a Ford Pinto. I know they don't make them anymore, but it's still funny to say Ford Pinto. Uh, but, you know, it, or a Cadillac. I don't care what you're driving, what you can drive. It doesn't matter to me the wealth you amass or do not have. All that matters is really that you're living your life in a godly way. And this is exactly what uh, Solomon, who really had it all, understood. And we're also going to notice, kind of just as a side note, but to keep in mind, that the wisdom that Solomon gives can be unheeded, can be dismissed by us, the children of God, and by him, uh, and his, by his children dismissing him. And we need to remember that as well. Children do this. Parents are regarded very often as out of touch, aren't we? Uh, we're, we're out of touch, we're old-fashioned, or we really almost are just ignorant of what it's like to be a young man or woman in this day and age, as if that's ever changed. You know, it's just kind of funny. It was just as hard to be a teenager in the 80s, way back, as it was for you know you to be a teenager here in the 2000s. It hasn't changed. The, the environment has changed a bit. But the situations are still the same. But no, we're often seen as out of touch, old-fashioned, ignorant, forgetful. Um, and even the son of Solomon could come under this kind of, uh, of a mindset. But still, we have to understand that can't be us. As we read the Proverbs, we must understand they are not to be dismissed. Uh, they are not to be unheeded. Because we think that Solomon is out of touch. Because one of the things we need to understand about Solomon is that there was no one in more touch than he was. There is no one apart from Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament that was more qualified in wisdom than Solomon was. And it's not that Solomon was a great man personally. You know, Solomon arguably was not. Uh, Solomon believed in enjoying life. He believed in doing everything, as Frank says, that he was big enough to do and old enough to do. Uh, he, he did not deny himself anything as king. Uh, and he regretted that. And he wrote a lot of those regrets in Ecclesiastes. And, and uh, he teaches us many lessons. But 
that's that's not the point. You know, the point is is that we would be hard pressed to find someone like Solomon. And so as we're looking over the Proverbs, let's remember who wrote them. If you turn with me to 1 Kings, to 1 Kings, the third chapter, I'd like to go there to 1 Kings chapter 3. My guess is that many of you have read this time and again. Uh, Very hard for me to read this without going into tears, really. Uh, But the fact of the matter is it is one of the most uh, incredible passages that I have have ever read. And in 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 3, look at how it begins. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding, to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. When Solomon awoke, behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. I just never read anything in the scriptures as incredible as that. This is the man who is writing Proverbs. And I doubt that anyone would have the heart, the mind, and the faith to react as Solomon did. Now I could be wrong on this, but this feels to me like 
like carte blanche. You know? <laughs> and God is giving a blank check here to to Solomon and telling him to fill it in. And Solomon doesn't even write anything down. He just tells God to please give him the wisdom that he needs to rule the great country of his father and of his God. And so God does it. This is who's writing the Proverbs, everyone. And you know that we can use this as children too. And not all of us had good mothers and fathers. But if you did, it would behoove you to think who talks to you whenever they are speaking. The great sacrifice and love that they give. That's what we're reading here. And yet, the change from father to son didn't take very long to lose its luster. Rehoboam, for all intents and purposes, was terrible. <laughs> if you read in Second Chronicles 10-12, through 12, which we won't read here today, but if you read there, you see Rehoboam was the reason that the kingdom split apart. And he fought against Jeroboam all of his days because he ruled half of the kingdom and Jeroboam ruled the other half of the kingdom. He was not a complimentary son for his father or his father's father. But God provided for him through his father in spite of all of that. And we need to remember that as well as we read the Proverbs. God is providing for us in spite of who we are. In spite of our inconsistencies. In spite of our often lack of love and our often lack of faith. God is providing for us. And that's what we should take to these Proverbs as we read them. Because the childish problem of Rehoboam really has never changed. We're still very much like him. We can look at Rehoboam and read those passages and chronicles and think to ourselves, Ooh, you know, I would have done better than that. No. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. We always say we would have done better, but we wouldn't. And you know why we wouldn't have? Because we haven't. We were given much more advantage and much more wealth and security than probably even Rehoboam had. And we are not heeding the messages of the Bible much better than they did, are we? You know, the Proverbs are speaking to us from God. And that's what we need to remember. Giving us the best action that is available to us because He wanted the best for His children, just like Solomon did. And He's given it to us. And we take these Proverbs and we can show ourselves as the true children of God choosing His wisdom over our own or not. Now with that introduction and understanding, let's read those first seven verses together. Proverbs starts, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. 
To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The least that we can say about what Solomon begins here with in Proverbs is that biblical wisdom is greater than any other wisdom in the world. That's all there is to it. The Proverbs, though, as we read them and we note what what Solomon is saying here, they don't exist to increase intelligence, per se. But they're there to bring shrewdness. That word prudence is a very important word there. And I, and I focus on verse 4 there, to give prudence to the simple. See, the fact of the matter is, and I don't mean this as a, as a rude uh, criticism, but most people are, including myself, simple-minded. We are, we are very simple-minded creatures. And so God, understanding that and acknowledging that, that we are not the greatest thinkers on the face of the earth for the most part, understanding that 99% of the uh, population falls under the category of simple-minded in their own ways, He provides prudence. And so God's message through the Proverbs is that you may not be the, the, the smartest person on the earth, but you can be shrewd. And you can be prudent and you can be understanding. And in spite of your lacks, you can have the ability to make the best decisions possible for everything you do in life. And Solomon himself declares that the abundance of good counselors, that's the key to wisdom. And wisdom is is really forged in this crucible that he's created here, this, this book of Proverbs to his son, so that he could understand to listen. To actually listen. That means shut your mouth and listen. It also means meditate. Think about this over and over again. This should be a a mantra for you. Something that you consider over and over again. Praying. You should be praying about what we read here and then after all of that, act on it. Act on it and do not be afraid. Because that is just the opposite of the way that we are in our life so often. How many times have you read the Bible and you think to yourself, man, it's so boring. This guy beget, this guy that I can't pronounce beget that guy that I can't pronounce who begat the other dude that I can't pronounce. You know, and just on and on and on. And then there's all that repetition, you know. You shall not do five and six you cannot do and five. Well, you know, you have all of these numbers and, and uh, phrases and ideas that are repeated over and over again. And you think, man, that's really getting boring. It just drones on and on and on, right? Or, or we get to the hard parts and it just makes no sense to me. And we look at it and we give up. It's, it's a strange way that our minds work. If something is boring to us, we ignore it. When the real challenge is to find out the intricacies in that. Because your brain is wired to think something is boring whenever you can't figure it out. That's just the facts. I see it in in kids all the time. I read this incredible story and they go, that story's boring. 
No, 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 it's not boring. You just, you turned off your brain. You're the boring one. You don't see it for what it is. You can't see the intricacies. You can't appreciate the beauty of it because somebody's not feeding it to you. That's the incredible thing. It makes no sense to me. I'll grant you that. This is the mind of God. So why don't we try to understand the mind of God? Elevate ourselves and our own minds to understand it. All those things are only true when we will not dwell in the Word of God. When we will not, as Jesus told His disciples in John, where we have recently studied, ingest it, eat it, drink it, make it a part of who we are, look diligently for its power in our lives. Solomon has given us the key. Did you ever take a test in school and you wish you knew the key? Man, if I had that key, I could get a hundred on this. Sure, it would be cheating. Solomon is allowing you to cheat. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I tell students all the time, we're going to have a test next week. It's a big test. I'm about to give you all the answers. Take out your notebook and write them down. And they just look at me and go, really? And I go, yeah, really. Because I know you're still going to get an F on it. (laughs) And they say, why is that? And I say, because you're not going to write anything down. And the ones that do deserve the A. And that's about as simple as life can get. But that's the way it works. (laughs) Lo and behold, the ones that sit there and write down all the information, you know what grade they got? An A. You know the ones that flunked? The ones that started to write and then kind of you know, went off into the, the ceiling tiles, you know, somewhere. That's that's what never works. And so that's what we see. Solomon has given us the cheat to life. <laughs> We're not going to pay attention. He's telling us how to get through life in happiness and live life well. If nothing else, we're going to learn how to be righteous. The best way to pursue justice. And the best way to have fairness. Aren't those beautiful ideas? That's what he calls it. Righteousness, justice, and equity. That's what he writes down. What three greater things could you or I wield in the living of our lives? If everything was always righteous... If everything was always just, if everything was always fair, my sons wouldn't be gone this evening, so we would have a song leader. Right? But that's not the way the world works, is it? So it has to be the way that we work. It has to be the way that we do things. I don't know why Chick-fil-A ran into my brain. You know, Chick-fil-A is a funny place. I told James, I said, Chick-fil-A is a little expensive, but I love going there. And he goes, why? And I said, they close on Sunday. I just love those people. You know, they, they're not putting up with that. Now, I know in another generation or two, they'll probably have a 24-hour every day. You know, they'll probably give in. I don't know. But, but it just thrills me that there are some people that still think it's important somewhere. Because most of the world does not. And notice verse 6 again. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Boy, let me tell you, isn't it the riddles of life that keep us at bay? It always is. And, and 
And Solomon is not saying, you know, hey, I'm going to teach you the answer to all the riddles. He's not always saying that. In much of the Proverbs as we read, he's going to teach us how to endure it. Because sometimes it's important to endure. If your loved one gets life-threatening cancer and you know that they're going to die, you're going to pray very hard for them to be healed. But if they are not healed and they lose their life, then you're going to pray just as hard to endure that suffering. Because both are valuable. Both are blessings. And sometimes we forget that. But that's what, what Solomon is teaching us. The Proverbs tell us the secrets of enjoying life and also enduring its rigorous challenges so that we can suffer well if we have to and suffer purposefully if we have to. And so Solomon tells us that in these six verses. This is what this is all about. Why am I writing this to you, son? Across time, God is calling out to us in the same language. Why am I your God, your Creator, your omniscient provider? Why am I writing this to you? So that you can understand as well. And so verse 7 tells us where we all have to start. We all have to start with the fear of the Lord. When I think of the fear of the Lord, I think of something specific, and I think you do too. When I think, I wish I could just pull the whole room right now, but when I I think of the fear of the Lord, and I ask you to give me an example, some of you might say, well, you know, it's like that shaking of the mountain in the Old Testament, you know, that mountain is shaking, quaking, and there's lightning and thunder, and God said, don't come near me or you will be pierced through, and I'm I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go near there. There's this, there's this great, terrible fear. Some of us think of the ten plagues of the Old Testament, right? We might think, wow, look at what he did. All of the gods of Egypt arrayed against him, and he took out one by one by one until all ten were wiped out. And I mean, I look at that and I think of that, and that's incredible. I think of, of the prophets who, who sometimes doubted being told to look and to gaze into heaven and to see the army of the host of heaven. And then to turn and go, hey, we're going to win this thing. (laughs) We're going to win this thing. We may be outnumbered right here, but they don't even know what's going to hit them. And that's just incredible. We all have this idea of fear of the Lord, right? Right? And for all of us, it's either quaking in your boots or it's just standing in awe. That's what Solomon is writing here. The awe, A-W-E, the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon is beginning the Proverbs by calling for a deep, deep respect for God. Because in His presence, we are nothing. And without His presence, we would be obliterated. And Solomon's not begging anybody to believe that. He's just saying that's what it is. I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to look at your criticisms or anything like that. I'm here to tell you, this is who God is. Take it or leave it. And that's what we do with these Proverbs. That's what we do with them. 
And so this awareness, if we are and we choose to be aware of it, is going to breed humility in us. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, what do we read? Fear God and keep His commandments. Right? That's, that's what Solomon says. That word fear. Awe God and keep His commandments. That awe, that deep respect for God is what causes us, what motivates us, what generates in us the power to do His commandments. When we're sinning, when we're not doing His commandments, we don't have that awe anymore. Right, And that's what he's trying to pull to us. He's trying to say, look, if you believe this, if you understand this, that in, your, in His presence you're nothing, and without Him you would be obliterated, then you are motivated to do what you need to do. Look at Psalms. If you go back a little bit in the Psalms, look at Psalm 33. In the 33rd Psalm, let me get back there to it. In the 33rd Psalm in verse 18, look at what's written there. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. And then look at what He says. On those who hope in His steadfast love. It's the same idea. When I fear God, my only hope is in His steadfast love. I'm not shaking in my boots. I'm like a child running to his father after skinning his knee or his mom after being sick and just running up into their arms and please make me feel better. And isn't it odd how as a child, even though your knee might be skinned or your tummy might be hurting, how is it that being in the arms of your mother or father makes you feel better? (laughs) There's nothing medicinal about that. It's spiritual. It's spiritual, isn't it? Oh, honey, you skinned your knee. Come here and you're crying. And the moment they embrace you, you... That just feels better. It feels really great when they put something on the cut and put a band-aid over it. But it feels better. Because we understand that most of our pain comes from our spirit. And our inability to endure it. And our need to hope in something else. Isn't it incredible? The human body, the human mind, the human heart can endure great things if we can hope in the steadfast love of God because we understand it's His purity that we see in contrast to our own. It's His purity in contrast to our lack of it. And it's our desire to be free From all of that impurity that causes us to look at His words, His wisdom, and apply them to our lives. Fearing God, obeying Him, that is true wisdom. And notice what the proverb says here. What He he calls for us to do. What He shows us must be done. He's talking about a posture. Back when I was young, we would say somebody was posturing if they were acting a certain way, but they really weren't that way. Have you ever met that? It's like the if anybody's in car dealers, I, 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 I'm, I'm not making fun of you, but it's like a car salesman. You know, 
come up to you, shake your hand, call you all kinds of wonderful things, tell you they care about you. and No, they just want to sell a car. You know, once you leave there, you come back the next day and they'll go, Hey, man, you know, what was your name again? You know, they're not going to know you. They just want to sell you something. That's the difference, isn't it? That's the difference. God it understands this is about our posture. This is about our position, our mindset. It is a learning posture. Look at what he says there. No wisdom and instruction. Understand, receive, give, hear, increase. These are all things within our power. This is the posture that we're supposed to be in. We're supposed to be in a learning posture. What was the difference between Martha and Mary when Jesus was in their house? Mary was at His feet, listening, learning. Martha was about doing busy things. She was getting the busy work done. And getting mad at Mary because she was sitting there in the learning posture. And Jesus tells her, Martha, Martha, you care about many things, but one thing is what you should worry about. And that is what Martha, Mary, has. That posture. That understanding that we are supposed to sit at the feet of the Master. You know, it's interesting, I think of prayers. In the, in the ancient times, whenever people prayed, you know, if you look on TV or in pictures today, you can see people going up against the wall and kind of bowing back and forth and praying to the wall. You might see people holding their hands up and looking up into heaven. You might see people sitting in a pew with their arms or their hands crossed and their, and their eyes shut and their heads bowed. We have all of these postures for prayer, right? In the old times, they laid flat of their face on the ground. I think we often forget that. They had an idea of what it meant to be before God. And I'm not saying we should all lay flat on the ground on our face to pray to God. That's not the point. The point was they understood the posture. The mindset whenever a prayer is being done, whenever something profoundly praising God is being efforted, that is, that is the posture of the mind and the heart. To, to praise God openly and to let Him know that everything else has been pushed out of our minds and our hearts and He alone is there. That is what the writer of Proverbs is giving us and challenging us with. Because Solomon wants his son to have a life blessed. And we should want the same thing for ourselves and our children. And he wants that life to be blessed by an active and aware life. Not the false belief that providence, that grace come to us uh, with no effort on our part. It is the laziest thing that false religions teach in our day and age that I have ever heard. God's going to shine His grace on me in spite of anything I do. Do you realize that that puts you in the position of God? Do you realize how arrogant and prideful a statement that is? And people say, no, that's faithful. You can't do anything to get God's, to, to, to earn God's grace. And no, that's not the point. Everybody knows that. But you don't posture wrong knowing that God is going to give you grace and providence. 
And that's what they're doing. Well, I can live my life any way I want because God's grace is upon me. I've taken Him into my heart. If you take Him into your heart, then everything you do, you don't have to make the defense of no matter what I do. That's the difference. That's what Solomon is addressing. We too often believe in our own minds that gain comes in spite of the fact that we do little or nothing. And I wrote up there, that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking the result's going to change. That's, that's insane. And yet that is how many people, maybe even us, live our lives in faith before God. Doing the same things over and over again will not get different results. And that's what Solomon is challenging us for. So do things this way. Not your way. Not somebody else's way, but God's way. Read and study the Proverbs. And we will live better. And we will live uh, more able to endure the things that are around us and to enjoy what we have, however little or much it may be. What a great secret that we're going to delve into over the next few few weeks. So for next time, for next Sunday, I ask you to please look into Proverbs 1. Note verses 8 through 33. The rest of the Proverbs of that chapter. Please sit with them at your house over the next week. Read them. Over and over again. Until they bore you. (laughs) Read them over and over again. Try to understand them. Think on them constantly. Pray about them. And then let's come together next week and consider what's written there together. Because I think you will see things that I do not see. I'll see things that you do not see. And we can look at that together and think about that. And write that down. And make that part of it. Because that is what Solomon is asking of his son. Demanding of his son. Hoping in his son. That's what God is hoping in us now. As we look at the Proverbs again anew and fresh. And see what it says. And I hope that you would do that. And I hope that you would do that with me. For yourselves. For your own children. And for the hope that is in God. Through these Proverbs. And so with that. The lesson is for all of us. Those who seek wisdom seek to do everything that God has invited them to do. God is inviting us in these Proverbs to do all of the things that are listed there, all the things that rest there and to teach us. I hope that we would take the time to respond to that. And so I ask the same thing that we always ask. If there's anyone here who is not baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, I say to you, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom because once you find it, you will see the need to be baptized is great. And you will see it for more than just a body dipped in water. But what Colossians calls that surgery, that circumcision, made without hands, that's exactly what it is. And if you are a Christian, and as we read the Proverbs, and if you just thought about them today, and you think, man, I need some rededication. (laughs) Yes, we all do. 
And so take advantage of that if you have any need. Whatever the need is, please let it be known while we stand together and while we sing.